If there was a pill I could give you that would make you immortal, how much would you pay for it? Pastor Jonathan Fisk, author of The Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Without Flesh. Because you see, that's exactly what we have. And it's priceless, but it's also free. So why is it that nobody's coming to our churches to get this immortality? I mean, we can say that it's all their fault, or maybe there's something about it that we've forgotten. Learn more and purchase Without Flesh at issuesetc.org. It's time to go through some listener email and the issues, etc. comment line on this Wednesday afternoon, February the 19th. That email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. And the issues, etc. listener comment line, 618-223-8382. Leftovers. Leftovers from yesterday's email that we didn't get to. Might this be a first? Two consecutive days of listener email and the issues, et cetera, comment Probably line. I love the comment line, by the way. It's the, it's the email because that involves me reading it. Right. Probably the first two consecutive days in a long, long time, maybe since we came back 10 or 11 years ago. But we used to do a lot of consecutive days of email and comment line. This is most We didn't have a comment true. line, but we did a lot of email. We did have a comment line at our previous employer. Yeah, we had Oh, one. yeah, we did have yeah. a comment line. Yeah, we did. We did. Justin is responding to our recent interview with Andrew Walker. He writes, The downside of Trump's inevitable re-election will be the ongoing hand-wringing by Christians, evangelicals, Republicans, and conservatives who for some reason feel the compulsion to justify their vote for Trump and or agreement with the Trump policy and incessant need to point out every Trump flaw. As an on-demand listener, I can simply stop listening to any shows that appear to be focused on how someone wants to point out that while they might not think Trump is Hitler, they really, really don't like being called a racist. But I'm hoping issues, etc. will just find alternative topics to cover that aren't so repetitive and tiresome. To offer more than just my grumblings, I would appreciate more discussions about raising children and maintaining families in the faith while navigating difficult extended family issues. For example, what should parents do when relatives commit adultery? Get a divorce to continue the adulterous relationship and want to participate in family gatherings. Does continuing to participate in those family gatherings demonstrate to your children or the children of the divorce relatives that the conduct is accepted? Or are there other ways to handle these situations? Thanks for the feedback and thanks for listening, Justin. Yeah, very good suggestions for future shows. Uh, Jeff has taken all of that into consideration. We had that conversation with Andrew Walker, and there's several reasons for it. It's a presidential election year. That's one reason. The topic is relevant. One of the most interesting things that came out of that Walker conversation was his anecdotal observation that there are a lot of people that were in the same boat as he was, I was as well, the first time around, that couldn't in good conscience vote for Donald Trump in 2016, who since, because of what his track record that he's built up in the last three and a half years, are planning to vote for him. And that's why I agree with you that I think, I wouldn't call it inevitable, but I would say more likely every day that President Trump will be reelected because a lot of people who sat it out like me or like Walker and the people he knows are not planning on sitting it out anymore. So that's more votes. I don't think his core constituency who voted for him the first time are going to not vote for him this time. I think he's satisfied his base very, very well. So, I mean, those are political observations, but the reason we talk with Andrew Walker is because there are people in this position who are saying, look, 
we had qualms of conscience and you, you must respect conscience. Even in politics, if someone says, I cannot do that in good conscience, and, and they, they cite their conscience on account of this, they would feel guilty doing this. You, you need to respect that. You expect people to, to respect your conscience. You say, I could do it with a clear conscience. And someone says, I can't do it with an entirely clear conscience. Just respect their conscience. Actually, be happy that people have, that pres- the president has, by fulfilling a lot of the promises he made, especially with respect to life and those issues, has won voters over, additional voters over. So we cannot, I don't think any Christian of good conscience can say, because President Trump is doing a good job, any observation about his shortcomings, personal or otherwise, is out of line or somehow inappropriate. Whether you agree with the president or not, regardless of who that president is, it's the Christian's obligation to support them when they're right and to speak clearly, confess clearly when they're not. One of the things that I still have a question mark over the president's head on is the issue of marriage. Because he has been remarkably quiet on the issue of supporting natural marriage. Maybe he believes Obergefell was a good idea or maybe he believes it's settled law. Or maybe he believes there's nothing he can do about it and doesn't want to fight that fight. But he has been very quiet about it. He, and I contrast that with his, his very vocal nature about the issue of life, for which he should be commended. But we, we get to, as Americans, we get to pick and choose the issues even when they're found in a single president. When we come back from this break, we'll be going through a little more listener email, the issues, etc. comment line. Then... Terry Mattingly will join us. We're going to talk about media coverage of Oprah's 2020 tour with Michelle Obama. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc., Jesus the Good Shepherd says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. We invite you to join us as we listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd and follow him who gives us eternal life. Sunday worship services at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible class at 1030, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Arnold, Missouri, on the web at goodshepherdarnold.org. That's goodshepherdarnold.org. Do you know any military veterans in your church or community? Do you have a passion to support and reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Then Operation Barnabas is for you. Called by Christ's love, Operation Barnabas engages, empowers, and equips LCMS faith communities to provide hope, healing, and support to military-connected persons living in their community. Operation Barnabas is a program of LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces, Find out more at lcms.org slash armed forces. Here is what a regular guest here on Issues Etc., Dr. John Bombaro, had to say about our Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February, called Without Flesh by Pastor Jonathan Fisk, he says, Think then of Without Flesh as a clarion call to the church to be the church, to Christians to be fearless in their possession of Jesus' message of truth and hope, 
Christ is not dead. He is very much alive and very much in charge. Christianity cannot die because Jesus is not dead, because Christ is, in fact, the world's rightful king. That's a little review of Without Flesh from Dr. John Bombaro. The book is by Issues Etc. regular guest, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. You can find out more about it at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and ask for the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Great question from Jason. He says, tradition says Jesus' ministry was three years. A sound and trusted Lutheran pastor friend suggests Jesus' ministry was one year told in the scriptures from three different views. Heresy? Possible? Doesn't matter? I have a hard time believing the Jewish leaders would have tolerated Jesus for three years. Thanks for the question, Jason. Okay, a couple thoughts there. Uh, First of all, while possible, certainly not heresy, but while possible, highly unlikely, I'll give my reasons here in a moment, that that we're simply watching a one-year ministry being played out over the course of, or being viewed from three different perspectives. It doesn't account for John's gospel, which records three years. Very clearly, three Passovers come and go in the course of Jesus' public ministry. This is how we get the, I'll say, at least three-year ministry of Jesus. Now, as to your observation that the Jewish leaders wouldn't have put up with Jesus for more than three years, remember, Jesus is not in constant contact with the Jewish leaders, especially those ones who had the power to execute him. Uh, He is in conflict with them through much of his ministry. We're actually given to believe that the first part of Jesus' ministry, he's, he's not so much in conflict with those Jewish leaders, or they with him. They're still trying to figure him out. Ergo, we get this account of one of the Jewish Jerusalem leaders, that would have been Nicodemus, a member of the Sanhedrin, that, that's the Supreme Court of the Jewish nation, coming to Jesus by night, not, not to challenge him, but to figure out what he's all about. And he says there very early in Jesus' ministry, we know you were a man sent from God, because no one could do the signs you do unless God had sent him. So they, they know he's a prophet of some kind. Now, Nicodemus may be the exception that proves the rule, but Jesus isn't in constant contact with the Jewish leaders. He's only in contact with the, those Jerusalem leaders when he is in Jerusalem, which is only for the feasts, which are recorded in the Gospels. So when he's in Jerusalem, yes. But we're also told by the Gospel writers why they put off their action against him. They feared the crowds. They did not want to bring the wrath of the Roman occupying forces down upon them. They had all sorts of reasons to put it off until eventually, as John tells it, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, such a public miracle performed that would have confirmed Jesus, at the very least, that Jesus was a great prophet and perhaps even the Messiah, because there's no secret in John's gospel that he's the Messiah. He's, he's the Messiah from the very beginning of the gospel. Then the Jewish leaders feel like their hand has been forced. They all, there's also a pivotal parable that Jesus tells in the Synoptic Gospels about the, labor, the laborers in the vineyard who killed the owner's son, and they perceive that this parable had been told against them, and they act accordingly. So I think at least three years. Three years seems good. We also have the collaboration of the early church who understood Jesus to have died on a certain date during the reign of certain leaders. And so we can date that from outside sources that Jesus, if he began his ministry at about 30 years old, had at least a three-year ministry. But I think John's account of three Passovers makes it a little difficult to say John's retelling the same Passover over and over again. The Synoptic Gospels, if you read those 
in isolation from John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic means? Yeah, that they all walk together. They, you could see them all together. So that's Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke. When you read them, you could walk away with the distinct impression that Jesus only had a ministry of one year or less, but not so with John's gospel. That's why the early church fathers, when they were making their observations about the four gospels, they observe of John's gospel that his gospel was written in a chronological order. And I think what they mean there is not maybe a strictly chronological order, but that it gave the full chronology of Jesus' ministry over the course of those three years. Lindsay writes, Matthew 5, 34 to 37 tells us not to swear by heaven or earth, by Jerusalem, or by our own heads, but to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Are we violating Jesus' teaching by swearing on the Bible to give court testimony or swearing someone into office? What about exams where the taker is required to write and sign an honor code statement? On my honor, I have neither given nor received aid in this exam. If these violate Jesus' teachings, is there a tactful way to navigate these situations without being targeted as difficult or self-righteous? Thanks for listening. Thanks for the email, Lindsay. Well, in addition to that, you're, you're vowing an oath when you sign your mortgage. There, we take oaths on a regular basis. If you ever click the I accept the terms and conditions of this and then hit submit, you have signed an oath. The fine print is full of promises and oaths that you are implicitly making by allowing your name to stand there. Uh, when you sign a check, you're paying someone. When you sign a check at the grocery store, that is an obligation to pay. It is an oath. You're putting your signature on it. It is an oath. So oaths permeate our lives. Our lives are heavily built around oaths. Our, our legal system has them. Our business system has them. So to somehow escape all oaths would be to, it would be very difficult to function in 21st century America without refusing to make all oaths. What Jesus is talking about there, read the text backwards just for the sake of argument. He starts with, whatever you say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything further comes from the evil one. That is the point. He wants, he wants no equivocation. And what he certainly doesn't want is false oaths or frivolous oaths. Don't swear when you don't have to. If you don't have to swear, don't swear. Don't take an oath on anything when, all, when a yes will suffice. That's the point of his instruction there. Why can Christians in good conscience swear oaths? Well, because we have many examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament of people taking oaths to God. And St. Paul takes an oath. Jesus takes an oath. He's put under oath during his trials. There's more than one way to take an oath. You don't have to say I swear, you can say, I, as they do in his trials, I charge you by the living God. And his answer serves as an oath. So Jesus takes oaths, Paul takes oaths. We are to swear rightly, honestly, and when it is necessary. The Lutheran confessions actually take this up because they are dealing at the time with the Radical Reformation. Radical Reformation, among other things, said that Christians could not swear any oaths whatsoever. And the Lutheran confessions explicitly respond to that by saying Christians are free. This is a matter of Christian freedom to swear oaths when required by the government to do so. But we are not to swear frivolously or falsely, and most certainly not to swear falsely in the name of God. But we also do swear by God's name. Every sermon is an oath to use God's name and say, this is what God says is to swear an oath, to speak an oath. 
So preaching is an oath as well. But what is forbidden there in the commandment against false testimony is the false use of God's name or the use of God's name to support falsehood. I just finished listening to your program with Wesley Smith regarding the harvesting of organs. And he repeatedly said that we do not take organs from living patients. He referenced something called a dead donor rule. And I would be really interested in seeing this topic visited again, because the truth of the matter is they do take organs from living patients because the definition of death is not agreed upon. From the research that I have done, there's a great discrepancy or there's a number of different definitions for such as brain death and what actual brain death is, where a patient is declared that their brain is dead, but certainly their body is not dead. Because when they harvest a heart or lungs or a liver, they have to take it out of a living body. They cannot take a heart or a set of lungs out of a cadaver. So they declare a patient dead in order to follow that so-called dead donor rule, and yet what is death exactly? There's no consensus on what brain death is. And this is such a serious issue, especially for pastors who are counseling family members of a patient who is on their deathbed and they're being asked to have his organs donated. It's just such a serious issue. I I wish that this could be revisited by um, an expert who might know something about that. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the suggestion. We'll, we will take that under advisement as well, try and find someone who is an expert on the practices there. One of them is, by the way, Wesley Smith. He is an expert on this issue. He's not a medical expert. He's a legal expert on these, these very issues. And the thing, I think you actually agree with him more than you may think, because we were talking there about policies that would allow that line to be crossed, where at least they may be declaring the person dead. There are policies that are being contemplated in some hospitals and in bio, bioethics and says they don't even have to die. If a patient wants to die by means of having his organs taken, then these bioethicists are saying that should be allowed. And Wesley is adamantly against these kinds of things. That's why he comes on and talks about them. So the next time we have Wesley on, Jeff, let's just remind each other to ask him about that issue of what is dead legally. And is dead legally the same thing that the medical, especially those who harvest organs, the medical community follows, and what what is the latest bioethics on that particular subject? We're going through listener email and the issues, etc. Comment line. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is issues, etc. And close with love the way that you do. I'm gonna sit right down and write myself a letter and make believe. From you. If there was a pill I could give you that would make you immortal, how much would you pay for it? Pastor Jonathan Fisk, author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Without Flesh. Because you see, that's exactly what we have. And it's priceless, but it's also free. So why is it that nobody's coming to our churches to get this immortality? I mean, we can say that it's all their fault, or maybe there's something about it that we've forgotten. Learn more and purchase Without Flesh at issuesetc.org. Built on the rock, children of the Heavenly Father, 
on my heart and print your image. Rejoice, rejoice, believers, and so much more. Hi, this is Pastor Will Whedon inviting you to join us for our hymn sing at the 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. This year's theme, Northern Lights, Danish and Scandinavian hymns. Making the Case is Friday, June 12th and Saturday, June 13th at Concordia University, Chicago. Find out more and register at issuesetc.org. Confessional Lutherans, we've got your back. You're listening to Issues Etc. Many Lutheran pastors outside of the U.S. receive little or no seminary education. Luther Academy provides theological triage through conferences, books, and journals. Help support Luther Academy by making a tax-deductible donation at lutheracademy.com or call 260-452-2211. Serving Lutheran pastors to the ends of the earth. Luther Academy, 260-452-2211 or lutheracademy.com. Historic St. Paul Lutheran Church in the heart of Austin, Texas, is glad to support the work of Issues Etc. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul, and I'm glad we're part of this effort. Issues Etc. for decades has been the premier voice of Lutheran doctrine and biblical teaching in all of the world, and we're glad to be a little part of making sure that the work continues. If you're ever in Austin, stop by and visit us. All the information is on the website, stpaulaustin.org. That's stpaulaustin.org. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Bethlehem Lutheran, Altamont, Illinois. Faith Lutheran, Azona, Texas. Grace Lutheran, San Mateo, California. Emmanuel Lutheran, Lima, Ohio. Mount Calvary Lutheran, San Antonio, Texas. Peace Lutheran, Rapid City, South Dakota. Risen Savior Lutheran, Basor, Kansas. St. John Lutheran, Topeka, Kansas. St. Peter Lutheran, Indianapolis, Indiana, and Zion Lutheran, Tacoma, Washington. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print the one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the radio, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're going through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. Paul lives in Alexandria, Virginia. He writes, Jesus rose again and Elijah was taken bodily up to heaven in a fiery chariot. But Moses died. What was it that the apostles saw on the mountain then? A spirit? A vision? A resurrected body? Thanks for listening in Alexandria, Virginia, Paul. Well, I think that Peter calls it a vision in his epistle. He refers to the transfiguration as in terms that are consistent with a vision. But that does not mean it was a dream. A vision, we don't exactly know what a vision is. God gives sight of things that either cannot be seen or that are not seen by our ordinary senses. So the best hour we ever spent on the Transfiguration was recently with Pastor David Peterson. It was looking forward to Sunday morning. We were doing Transfiguration according to the one-year lectionary. And in the beginning of that conversation, he does about the best exposition of the whole point of the Transfiguration 
that I have ever heard. And it amounts to this interaction between Peter and Jesus on the mountain where Peter says, let me build three booths, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And Pastor Peterson said, in effect, he said it much better than I would. Peter's putting these three men on equal footing. And then that makes a lot of sense when you hear the voice from the bright cloud that overshadows them saying, this is my son, listen to him. It is now time to listen to Christ. He's the fulfillment of everything that Moses and Elijah said. We don't know what it is that they're looking at, except Jesus. They're seeing Jesus in the flesh, and his flesh is shining like the sun. We don't know what they're seeing with respect to Moses or Elijah. In the case of Moses, certainly not a body. In the case of Elijah, maybe a body. I have often wondered, how did they even know who they were? It's not like they had family portraits of Moses and Elijah. How did Peter, James, and John know that they were looking at Moses and Elijah and not just two men? Maybe they didn't, or maybe something they said indicated that they're looking at Moses and Elijah because Peter says, uh, let's, let's get all three of you settled down here on the mountaintop. So we cannot say what it is they're looking at with respect to Moses and Elijah, a divine revelatory vision with respect to Christ. They're seeing Christ himself standing there on the mountain. How Moses and Elijah were present there, which they certainly are present there with Christ, we do not know. But actually, that's kind of the point. The point at the end of that entire event is that they saw Christ only. And that the message had been clearly sent. You listen to Moses, you listen to Elijah, now listen to my son. Tim writes, great question. How could my congregation be listed on your website's Find a Church page? That is a great question. Churches that are listed on the Find a Church page are churches that give annual support to issues, etc., to the tune of $1,000 or more in their mission or advertising budget. We used to call it the Issues Etc. 300, and then we said, that doesn't say anything anymore. We now call them Supporting Congregations of Issues Etc. So if you go to that page, you see at the very top, it says something like, Congregations That Support Issues Etc. And that's how they get their name there. It's, it's part of our way of saying thank you to them for their annual support of Issues Etc. We, we list their name and address and a link to their website And then we have occasional spots where they're actually named on the air, and that's how you do it. Yeah, you can go to issuesetc.org, click support, and then click donate, and there'll be information on our congregational sponsorship program. It's also on the right side on the website, on the homepage. And congregations sometimes do this out of their budget. They sometimes do it by a door offering They sometimes, or a series of door offerings, or they sometimes, it's just an individual donor who says, I'd like to give the $1,000 and have my congregation listed on that page, the Find a Church page. Robert writes, hello to those at Issues Etc. Can I give a command to Alexa on my Echo Dot to play LPR Talk? It seems that I can only hear the music side. I would like to know how to ask for talk. What would the recognized command or title be? God bless you all. Thanks for trying to listen to Lutheran Talk, Robert. So for the time being, and we have to say this for the time being, because occasionally Alexa changes these things. They made a change a couple of years ago that kind of messed us up where what would happen, Jeff, when you would tell Alexa, play Lutheran Talk Radio or play, play Lutheran Public Radio, and what would it do? Well, oh, Lutheran it, Public Radio was always good. For some reason, on the talk side, either way, the safest way to do it is to play Alexa 
or Google Home play Lutheran Public Radio on TuneIn. That's the streaming provider for these devices. Or Alexa, play Lutheran Talk Radio on TuneIn. You have to be a little more specific. Oh, I know what the problem was. We were running spots that had the trigger words for Alexa, and it was triggering people's devices while the spot was running because we actually said the words in the spot. And we've, I think we've changed those now, but that's the standard now. You just have to be a little more specific with the device. On the other side of the break, we're going to spend some time with Terry Mattingly. Very interesting tour. It's at least not political according to the media coverage of it, but is it both political and religious? We're going to talk about Oprah's 2020 Your Life and Focus Tour and the Democratic presidential race. Terry Mattingly, founder and editor of Get Religion, will be with us next. Ain't got time to take a fast train. Lonely days are gone, I'm going home. My baby just wrote me a letter. I don't care how much money I got to spend. Got to get back to my baby again. Deaconesses are women trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, spiritual care, and teaching of the Christian faith. The word deaconess means servant. Find out more on how you can serve in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod through the vocation of deaconess at lcms.org slash deaconess. Working in faith, laboring in love, remaining steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. LCMS Deaconess Ministry, lcms.org slash deaconess. Would you like to help a college or seminary student attend the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference? You can purchase a conference scholarship for a contribution of $135 to Issues Etc. You can donate online at issuesetc.org slash scholarship or you can make a $135 check payable to Issues Etc., write Scholarship in the memo line, and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. We love our on-demand listeners. You're listening to Issues Etc. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. Oh, morning star, oh, morning star, Listen to the best of the church's music for the Epiphany season at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the Epiphany season, 24-7. LutheranPublicRadio.org. 